0: Welcome along to 20 Minute Topic, I'm Marcus Stead and I'm joined as usual by veteran campaigner, blogger and name dropper Greg Lance Watkins. This week we ask, how could Boris Johnson have handled the terrible situation with the floods in Yorkshire without attracting criticism? And it's nearly that time of year when an old man with a white beard hands out free gifts. No, I'm not talking about Father Christmas, but Jeremy Corbyn, whose manifesto pledges sound incredibly far-fetched. We ask, how is it all going to be paid for? Or more specifically, who is going to pay for it? Greg, events have taken over the election campaign to some extent this week with the floods in the Yorkshire area in particular. And first of all, we should say our thoughts are very much with the people who've been affected by those floods. But from Boris Johnson's point of view... He's damned if he goes there and damned if he doesn't. Now, for example, if he he doesn't go, he doesn't care. If he goes and picks up a mop and bucket, it's a photo opportunity, and he's there for a cynical photo opportunity. If he doesn't pick up a mop and bucket and just shakes people's hands and talks to them, it's a photo opportunity. So Boris Johnson couldn't win no matter what he did this week.
1: I I would agree with you entirely. That is the dilemma of being the in the position of power Uh, exactly the same thing happened uh with the fire in london uh the prime minister turned up to that and did absolutely the right thing Mm -hmm. by any measurement except that political capital could was being made out of it by the labor party who will leap on any passing coffin to try and raise their popularity and have done it time and time again. And the floods are no different, Uh, nor was Damilola Taylor, uh, nor was Stephen Lawrence.
0: But we saw this week, didn't we, with Jeremy Corbyn, how he was making comments along the lines of, oh, if this had happened in Surrey or the home counties, the response would have been different. And I thought about this, and I thought, well, hang on a minute. What could boris johnson and what what is a basic functioning government during an election campaign actually do okay we can have a debate some other time about the wisdom of building houses in some of these places and so forth but right now when people need help yes services are being provided but it's a case of letting the houses dry out then the horrible task of ripping up flooring and chucking stuff out and insurance claims. It's great, by the way. We've seen a great sense of community spirit in the areas affected. But what could Boris Johnson actually do, regardless of whether it's in Berkshire or Yorkshire?
1: Not be in the wrong.
0: Mm, exactly. Exactly. So that that's largely been the story of this week, I think.
1: Yeah, but what I find absolutely obscene about it is the way that uh, the Labour Party has leapt on it mm. and. Literally, are uh, tobogganing around the country, well, um, waterboarding around the country, um, making political capital out of other people's misery.
0: Yep. yep. It
1: really is obscene.
0: But something's going on at the moment. We talked last week about the, um, the opinion polls and some very strange things are happening. And this pattern has continued this week with the new polls that have come out. And in a nutshell, what's happened since the start of 2019, Labour's percentage points in the opinion polls in Wales has halved. And we're seeing similar things happening in other Labour heartlands, in County Durham, in Yorkshire, in um, the old uh, mill towns of Lancashire, in the industrial Midlands. But what we're seeing across the board is that those percentage points are fragmented. There is no single beneficiary. And that is making the outcome of this election hugely unpredictable and that we're effectively looking at 650 odd different battles. This is a very difficult thing to predict even now with a month to go.
1: It's very damn dangerous, too, uh, because there there is a propensity which I'm not remotely um, unhappy about for a total wipeout for the Labour Party uh, with their present policies, their present levels of dishonesty, uh, their present uh, utter incompetence, uh, which is really only a changed continuation of the 13 years of un- of unlucky mismanagement and misrule uh, that happened last time they were in power, leaving the country with 10 years to try to claw its way back financially. We're now in a position, having clawed its way back, they're talking of blueing money in all directions. And the interesting thing is, The Labour Party will promise anything to get their hand on the tiller of the ship of state with a desperate Marxist desire to turn it round in the middle of a channel.
0: Well, we're going to come on to Labour's policies again in a few moments. We'll look at what you just said. We'll explore that in more depth. But looking at the polls, in any democracy, you do need a strong opposition. So if Labour disappears, it would need to be replaced by something else because history has taught us that Governments with enormous majorities, they don't tend to be periods of good governance and it's healthy in a democracy to have a strong opposition to keep the government on its toes, even if you broadly approve of that government. But what we are seeing now, again, it's very hard to tell. Even the bookmakers odds, the bookies are saying it's going to be a hung parliament. I'm going to stick by my initial prediction, which is a conservative majority of about 80. That's where I think we're going to end up having analysed the polls the way I have. And getting this feeling, there was an opinion piece in The Telegraph the other day saying something very profound is happening in the Labour heartlands that hasn't happened for a 100 years. The way the Labour Party rose a 100 years ago in the immediate aftermath of World War One, I, when, when they won seats which were once mainly Liberal seats. Something just as profound is happening now. But what I don't know, and I'm interested to get your thoughts on this, is who is benefiting from it because that's the one thing the polls are not telling us. I think what we could end up with, I don't know how you feel about this, but I think what we could end up with is a vote fragmented. So those, let's say, there's 20 opinion poll points that have left Labour and gone elsewhere. Maybe seven or eight of them have gone to the Brexit party. Maybe seven or eight have gone to the Liberal Democrats. Maybe three or four have gone to another party or an independent candidate, what have you. What could well happen is with the vote fragmented, is that Conservative candidates could get through the middle on that. It's not inconceivable that in some traditionally working-class Labour areas they could potentially end up with a Conservative MP.
1: Well, as I've said, um, Labour wipeout. I believe that there's only one party that is in a position to seriously take advantage of that, and that is the Tory party, But the the only fear I have there is that all four of the parties are turning five even, if you include um, the lunatic fringe in Scotland. All five of them are not political parties. They are cult followers. Uh, I think this is very dangerous. I've got a feeling there will be a very high number of people who don't vote Because what's the point when you do vote and get a 17.4 million voters? They just ignore you. What do I mean by cult followers? We have the Johnson cult. Now, who are the other people of note in the Tory party to the man in the street? Well, let me say this.
0: Let me say this. I was born in 1983. Now, I'm a political anorak. I'm not typical by any means, but I can name you. Quite a few members of Harold Wilson's government, whether I agree with them or don't Roy Jenkins, Tony Benn, Shirley Williams, David Owen, Michael Foote. I could go on. You think now, how many of the Conservative front bench, or indeed the Labour front bench, are anything like household names to the same extent? None. Exactly.
1: And if you go to the Labour Party, they call it a front, be- front bench. Um, but the need for a bench amounts to one deck Chair.
0: Well, let's talk more about the Labour Party then, because there's something I want people to think about here, and it's this. If you don't share mine and Greg's views on Brexit and you voted Remain, and if you were given the chance, you would do so again, I think there's something people of that mindset need to think about now, and it's this. What do you like less, Brexit or a Corbyn government? Because, <laughs> You may not like Brexit, and you may think it's fought with risk, and you may think it'd be a bad thing for this country. But if you vote for Labour or anybody other than the Conservatives, you could be paving the way for a Corbyn government that, as we're going to discuss in a moment, its economic plans are lunacy and Marxist, if not very close to Marxist. So I would urge people to think about that. If you are still of the Remain mindset, what do you fear more, Brexit or a Corbyn government?
1: There's one question I always ask myself. Now, I have lived in numerous different countries. I've seen very different styles of government, uh, from uh, the government of Lee Kuan Yew Hmm. in Singapore um, to uh, the apartheid government of South Africa um, to the American government um, to the so-called democracy um of venezuela uh, where where there are police on every were police on every street corner heavily armed and that was 30 years ago um to what was effectively a dictatorship in in brazil where i happened to be there during a the brazilian election and it was one long party um So I've got a fair amount to compare it with and our government at the moment, realistically, the Tory party has one rather dodgy individual and I cannot put Johnson in any other bracket uh, with not a tremendous understanding of European politics or it would seem not much of an understanding of British politics. And we've had that for quite some time with the Tory party who have just not understood the European Union, their part in it or their responsibilities in it. Uh, We have a Labour Party as the um, second most powerful. And realistically, there isn't anybody to make a cabinet out of. You'd be hard pressed to make a matchbox out of anyone in the Labour Party. And I would ask people to ask themselves, put themselves in a scenario where um, they happen to own a nice house uh, with a couple of acres of land. They have a a 15-year-old daughter, a 12-year-old son, a lot of money, a couple of horses uh, for the children, and um, a couple of dogs, probably a fairly flash BMW, um, plus... Um, maybe a Land Rover and a house servant and they're having a weekend party of friends and then because it's their wedding anniversary uh, they're going on a fortnight skiing holiday leaving one of those friends to look after the house with access to the bank account in case there's need need, etc. to be responsible for the children for a fortnight. Now can you look down the front bench of the Tory party and actually name somebody that you wouldn't be prepared to have do that job? Now I challenge you to look down the front bench of the Labour Party and find anybody you would be prepared to leave to do that job, just as would you leave the leadership of Plyde to do it? the leadership of the SNP? Or would you leave the lunacy of the Lib Dems? Just who would you leave? Now, if you wouldn't trust your house with somebody for a fortnight, and your children for a fortnight with somebody, why the hell would you vote for them?
0: Let's talk more about Labour's policies then, because Christmas is coming up, and normally when a man with a big white beard makes you all sorts of nice promises and offers you things for free, people get excited by it. Little children get excited by it. But when that man is Jeremy Corbyn and is he's gradually revealing this Labour manifesto, not for the benefit of children, but apparently for the benefit of adults, it's quite frightening because he's promising all sorts of things. for This word free broadband for everybody, but it won't be free because everything has to be paid for somewhere along the line by someone. So free broadband for everybody free adult education, X number of years of adult education available for all adults, free this, free that, Uh, heavy borrowing to invest in infrastructure and all this stuff he's been talking about. This is scary because all he's doing is he's going to indebt the country and it'll be the future generations who end up footing the bill. And on top of that, he's talking now, oh, we're going to pay for it by asking Google and Facebook to pay their fair share of taxes. What he doesn't tell you is that, whilst that might sound like a nice idea in theory, how much extra money would that actually yield in real terms? Would it be enough to make a substantial difference? Because there are not enough substantially rich people in this country or rich corporations for it to make a substantial difference when you divide it between the 68 million of us and all these big projects he's talking about getting involved in. And the other is you've always got to remember that wealth creators are a precious commodity. If somebody is paying what may look like a low rate of tax at the moment, but that individual is employing several hundred or several, several thousand people in businesses up and down the UK, well, then that's several thousand people who are paying into the tax system. And if you tax that boss, him or her, far more than you do at the moment, they are likely to pack up and move abroad. So whilst it might sound nice in theory to tax the rich, my argument is there aren't enough of them, point one, for it to make a substantial difference. And point two, if they go abroad, that's thousands of people out of work. And that's something, because I think Corbyn's politics is the politics of jealousy and envy anyway, that's something I don't think, well, he's either not really considered or doesn't seem to want to comprehend.
1: I see his policies not so much as a policy of jealousy and envy, but more noticeably, a policy of hate. They have nothing nice to say about anyone, even amongst the members of their own party. It's a backstabbing operation. We noticed in the uh, Saturday debate, which a lot of people watched, they couldn't put forward a single solitary intelligent argument or point of view opposing the Tory party. So they turned the entire debate into being a vicious, duplicitous, ad hominem attack on Boris Johnson. This is the policy of Labour. Now, let's look at free. You said somebody will have to pay for it. No, not somebody. It's not that mythological, why don't they pay for it? It is a case of you and I will have to pay for it. Or worse still, our children. Our children. Hang on. You and I will have to pay for it initially, in that, if you can raise, let us say, the 20 billion that is supposedly going to pay for somewhere in the region of between 100 and 180 billions worth of broadband over the next five years. Not 20 billion, he's wildly underestimating that by conveniently leaving out all sorts of matters of cost, and the fact that if it's provided so-called free, there will be no income from it. So it will be a forever net drain. And if there is 20 or 40 billion to be raised in taxes from the likes of Facebook, Twitter and um, Google and Amazon. If there is that money to be raised, that's absolutely wonderful. If we can, let's pay it to the NHS, to the prison service, to police and to all the other things that are desperately in need of money, highways, highways, transport, education, you are actually stealing money from services that need money to provide broadband to buy votes. So why don't just take the money and hand it out in packets of £70 a month uh, to everybody in the country, uh, which is roughly what people pay for broadband. Sorry, £70 a year. By doing that, you might as well just hand it out to cash and say, look, if you vote for me, I'll give you £100. You're going to steal it from where it would have gone otherwise anyway, so you might as well steal it and put it straight into the hands of buying votes. Uh, I I find this cynical, I find it dishonest, I find it distasteful, and I find it utterly demeaning for democracy, and the very principles of how we should be managing this country. And I'm afraid we're listening to uh, that politics of hate and envy uh, from Plaid. We're listening to the same politics of hate and envy from the, the SNP for whom, in fact, less people voted than voted to remain in the United Kingdom in the last referendum.
0: One thing worth pointing out is that over the course of the last 20 years, the need for better and better and faster and faster broadband has become integral from a business point of view, but also in terms of how we live our daily lives. So the desire for broadband in Every town, every city, every rural community in this country is desirable and indeed both the Conservative and Labour parties have made manifesto commitments in terms of that. But for Labour to say it'll be free of charge for everybody, bearing in mind how much it will cost in terms of infrastructure and upkeep and reinvestment in the network, their policy is just lunacy and sounds completely unsustainable. My thanks as always to Greg and my thanks to you for listening. We'll be back again next week and the first of the televised debates between Boris Johnson and Jeremy Corbyn will have taken place by then. That will be on ITV next Tuesday evening. We'll be back next Sunday with another 20-minute topic. Thank you for listening. See you then.